You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. And today I'm joined by our student pastor, David Wilson, who's currently leading our congregation through a series titled Root Work, really digging in and seeing exactly how God intended for us to live and then permeate the world with his gospel. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation. As we tape these episodes, we'd really love to include listener feedback and questions. So as things come up in your own personal study, if you would text your questions to 817-809-3040, we'll be able to take all of the very best questions and respond to the ones that we feel will be most applicable to our listeners. Again, thank you so much for listening. We can't wait to continue these Cornerstone Conversations as we continue our series, Root Work. David, what a great sermon you gave for us on Sunday here at Cornerstone. I absolutely love the way that you're starting to wrap up this series, and I can't wait for the conclusion of it this upcoming Sunday. I know that you had a lot of things that you wanted to put into this sermon, but for time constraints, just didn't make their way into it. I was kind of hoping that today's episode of the podcast can be you unloading some of the thoughts that sure. you had that you know are really supplemental and helpful to the narrative that you gave us, but it'll help us fully understand maybe the things that you didn't have time to address on Sunday. This past Sunday, we talked a lot about being and from our being with Jesus, we then do. I think one of the taglines I used was mission comes from identity. And I talked a lot about being a witness and how a witness is someone who's qualified to testify to the truth because of what they've seen. They're qualified to give this testimony of truth because of what they've experienced and what they've lived. And kind of was trying to translate that into our modern day, not only to be able to tell people about Jesus, but we're also supposed to live like Jesus. Our lives are to be a witness to others, not just that we can bear witness or share the story, but that we are actually living that story. And the difficulty of that in our current context, the difficulty of being a Christian and living lives of witness is that it's not mapped for us in our culture right now. Mm -hmm. So there's a meta narrative of the Christian story, which would be that it's God's story. He's the creator. He works through time and space and in history with people towards an end goal, which is one day a new heaven and a new earth Mm -hmm. where he will finally reign as the king and we will reign alongside with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And then through that meta narrative, there is the story of redemption. And this is an overarching story. A meta narrative is an overarching story about everything. Yeah. And it defines all stories by the overarching story that's happening. So one of the leaps, one of the issues of the enlightenment and postmodernism where we find ourselves today is that it created this idea that there are no meta narratives anymore. Which is really interesting because the Bible in itself, you look at it, it's not just one book, it's a collection of that's right. books. That's right. And you have to understand that the Bible is compiled in a way to where it is ultimately getting one message across. That's right. And there are a lot of other messages within that big thing, Mm -hmm. but we have one Bible that's comprised of many, many books. And sometimes it's hard to keep that in mind, that the Bible wasn't compiled in one in one moment. Right. However, there is one thematic quality throughout the whole thing. That's exactly correct. That's that idea of meta-narrative. And then in the Enlightenment, now we question all of that. And now we are at, in postmodernism, no one story tells the truth for all other stories. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly what the Bible claims, that the story of Jesus, the story of Israel, the story of God working through his people, this is the story that 
tells kind of in a microcosm the whole story of humanity right. and has an entire world implication for yeah. who Jesus is and what he's done. And so the Enlightenment questions that. Postmodernity questions that and says that none of those stories are true. And that's why your truth can be your truth and my truth can be my truth. And that's not a mutually exclusive claim. They can both exist somehow together, even if they're diametrically opposed. Because in this school of thought, mm -hmm. truth is variable based on right. your own experiences, right? That's it's not right. rooted in a moment of history. No, right? and there's no universal truth. There is no overarching thing. Nothing is universally true at all, except for that statement, of course, but nothing <laughs> is universally true at all. It's only as true as you experience it, like you just said. And this is kind of a completely anti-biblical assertion. And so this is problematic for us because while Christians believe in Christ, they might believe in the overarching story of the Bible, yet their lives are not rearranged by it. What do you mean by that? Okay. So they can believe in the thing, mm -hmm. but because our culture constantly puts pressure on us to not believe that there is a story that we have to live by, instead we have to self-create and we must be perpetually in this cycle of self-definition and reshaping ourselves to become that better version of ourselves yeah. all the time. There's this tension within us as believers where we want to believe the story. We want to be framed by it. We want to work from it. We want to become a part of it. Sure. Yeah. But at the same time, we also want to be really comfortable and mm. we also want to, particularly in our neck of the woods, attain wealth, look really pretty through working out because we have no mountains and rivers. So that's the only thing you can do <laughs> here in this area, like consumerism, individualism, materialism, hedonism, which is sensual self-indulgence. These kind of inputs that we've been talking about into our life systems, they're so all over the place all the time in messaging that we receive in TV shows we watch books we read, conversations we have with other people, the ads that Facebook hears and then hits us with later, <laughs> all of it yeah. is targeted at us to not live by a particular story that defines all other stories. Sure, yeah. So there's this big pressure for us as Christians. We believe in the story. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but that hasn't yet translated from our minds or even from our hearts into our hands and our feet. Yeah, wow. Just a reflection on that. I think so much of it is because we only believe or we only choose to believe in some things that right. pertain to the Bible or some right. things that pertain to the way that God's described himself. Which is very much a part of our cultural formation. Right. Pick what you like and that's your thing. Exactly. And so then we're not going to allow mm. certain parts of the gospel to change our lives that's if we good. don't really believe in those parts of the gospel. That's really good. And so we might say, of course, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his atoning sacrifice for my sins. I believe that he wants a relationship with me, but I don't really like the ins and outs of the mm. particularities of what living yeah. Christian life looks like yes. or to say that, well, and that's my truth. And so that's how I experience God right. is through the lens of me only actively believing 50% of what he says, sure. then my belief in him is not going to rearrange my life. Like you're saying, yeah, because, need to that because I haven't really wholly accepted mm. the entirety of what he told us to be doing. That's right. And then this further gets punctuated, unfortunately, by Christianity's desire to align with the powers of the age rather than with the person of Christ. Now I'm getting some of this language from Richard Bauckham's book, Bible and Mission. It's very, very good. But see, the Christian meta-narrative of God's redemptive story must become the story that we live by and live into, mm -hmm. and it will help us understand. So even what I'm saying by powers, we're talking about the structures of our world yeah. that produce the results that we want to see.
So sure. it could be a government structure. It could be institutions. Mm-hmm. It could be corporations. It could even be you. the entertainment industry. It could be all kinds of things. It yeah. could be anything. Anything that has influence and sway over people's lives, that's a part of the power systems or power structures. And yeah. in our Western world, particularly in America, the UK, Australia, places like that, all of these forces work together, actually. Mm-hmm. And even if they're yelling from different sides of the aisle, they're all contributing to the noise. There it is. And they're all saying the same thing, which is that you need to self-progress, self-create, self-define, make your life better through your own hands and through your own work. And this is just the opposite of what the Christian story is all about. Yeah. The Christian story is that you can't do it all on your own. You need God and God will actually give you a new heart and a new spirit to be able to accomplish that thing. Right. And that happens through the person of Jesus. And that's who we need to encounter. But what has happened through history because the church is not a proper organization in the sense of there's one, the church LLC or something like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's a group of people. There's a nuanced way that all of these powers we've just talked about impact influence and move us towards something else. Yeah. And so these powers then are very much a temptation for the church to align with like we've talked about in the first sermon of this sermon series, that there's this soft power of influence in the church in order to be expedient or to be relevant Mm -hmm. will align with those kinds of structures and soft powers in order to get more people in to hear about Jesus. So give me an example of that. There's a glaring example in history. Christianity and the Crusades Mm -hmm. is a glaring example of what happens when power mingles with the church. Okay, yeah. And when, so what happens in the Crusades is an example of God ordained policy. The Pope says, this is what we're supposed to do. And because the Pope is really now a part of this governing structure. So now God is saying that we need to go to war. And so we will carry the cross banner and we will fight in the name of Jesus and we will kill people in the name of Jesus, which just seems kind of antithetical to what Jesus displays as one who lays his life down rather than one who tries to take up the sword to fight others. So what happens is that the church, when it colludes with the powers that be, and I don't feel like I'm saying anything overly provocative here, but there certainly is the rhetoric out there that exists for whatever side of the aisle you're on politically, that my Christian faith most lines up with my political party. And so therefore my political party is the right party, whatever side I'm on. And because God likes my party better, I will vote for them. Sure. Yeah. And honestly, I know people on every corner of that spectrum who would use that same phrase That's to right. justify their political leanings. Right. And the political leanings don't agree with one another. Yeah. However, they all say, I reached this point sure. because I believe that it most closely aligns with how Christ would want me to. Sure. And I think that there's wisdom in some of that. Of course, I want to vote for the party that most aligns with what I align with. So I guess what ends up happening then is that you have entire subsets of Christianity that then aligns more closely with their political party than they do with their understanding of who Christ is and being a follower of Christ. And what happens then is in certain circles, being a follower of political party X means that you are a Christ follower. Yeah. As though being politically aligned makes you aligned with Christ. Yeah. And that's not the way it was ever meant to be. Christianity should transcend above politics and above any of these kind of governmental structures. But instead, what we've said is you're not a true believer if if you follow political party Y and not political party X. Exactly. But that's not the case. That's not how belief in Christ is. Because again, our belief and following of Christ should transcend our political 
affiliations. Yeah. And then the problem is that both sides will double down on their positions, even when their position's wrong and very clearly it's wrong. And again, this is, these are tricky conversations yeah. because people are so emotionally charged yes. in it. You just look back at America for the past several years yeah. and saying that you align with one political party over the other tears families apart Absolutely, as it is right now. And yeah. that's not the point. No. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. No. And David, I think you and I align pretty similarly politically, sure. but that's not as important as the way that we align spiritually. Right. And what I'm afraid the church has done in general is that they've said how we align politically is a greater barometer for our relational success mm -hmm. than how we align spiritually. Yeah. And the unfortunate outcome is what it does to our witness. Yeah. Because now are we known as the people who yes. fight over political structure? Yes. Or are we known as the people who foster a love and care for one another through the love and care of Christ. Yeah. And so I'm trying to be nuanced in the way I talk about it because yeah. there's no one party or one person that gets it all right or all wrong. We're not trying to be hypercritical of no, any political or even anti-political. Like that's really not the point. Here. The point is in the ultimate alignment with a political party over your alignment with yes. Christ. And yes. that's this problem of aligning with the powers of the age. Like sure. you were saying earlier sure. is we become so closely identified politically Yes. more than we are spiritually with Christ. Yes. And Bauckham from the book I referenced Sunday, he asked a really great question. He said, can the church detach itself? Can the church remove itself from even the meta narrative of progress that our culture pushes? Mm -hmm. So our culture wants to see utopia through progress yeah. individually and then societally. And so what eventually will happen is we'll all evolve, we'll all progress, we'll all learn so much, whatever it is, and we'll all become so good natured that we'll arrive at an existence yeah. where there is no war and no crime and there's no issues in the world and we've healed all the cancer and we've cured everything <laughs> and none of us even have possessions. We all just share in like kind and everything is each other's and we all love one another and it's perfect. Yeah. And the problem with that is it doesn't situate us in reality. Yeah. Whereas I think the biblical narrative actually wants to say something to us individually mm -hmm. as well as societally. It wants to tell us through the greater narrative of the story that we need redemption through Jesus and that we need God to intervene in our lives in order to have any chance or hope to get back to his original design, which is to be his image bearers. Yeah. And so he says that if we're going to detach ourselves from the powers of the world right now, then we can't be confused with, mm -hmm. and this is really important, we can't be confused with any one nation or any one politic or any one ideology or any one worship expression or anyone whatever. This yeah. is the whole point. We have to instead become a resistance. And I want to read particularly the words that he says. So this is Bible and Mission, Christian Witness in a Postmodern World by Richard Bauckham, B-A-U-C-K-H-A-M. He says, it may well be that only if Christianity in the West becomes a movement of resistance to such evils as consumerism, excessive individualism, and the exploitation of the global periphery can Christianity and many other parts of the world be credibly distinguished from the West. That's so, great. Can you translate that? Yeah. So what he's saying is that when missionaries would go to share the word of God, what yeah. would end up happening, unfortunately, in times past Christianity, as it went forward, it also had a Western influence to it. So now all of a sudden people who hear the gospel in their native land, whether it's a jungle or not, wherever it was in one of these developing nations, they would now start wearing suits and performing church the same way that the missionaries who perform church in Western culture yeah. performed it. And there's an inherent problem there because now you're washing out really a whole culture and the way that they live their lives, not with the gospel, but with the culture that's but been... But with the culture that comes along yeah. with 
you as an individual who've been formed by it. Right. And not that your culture's wrong or not that wearing a suit's wrong, but here's the whole point. Not that wearing your traditional tribal garb is wrong either as you worship God. They don't need a cultural transplant. That's exactly correct. So what Bauckham is saying is that we need to become a resistance movement that is able to distinguish ourselves from the Western progressive meta-narrative that says you need to improve your life and improve and improve and improve, self-create, self-define, become who you are. Your truth is your truth. And so the way that Christianity will do that is through what we talked about this past Sunday, which is mission, witness, and presence. And they all kind of interrelate together because this idea of witness is so important for us. It's what Jesus calls us to be in kind of the reiteration of his great commission that we see in Matthew 28, which is like our church's mission statement to go and make disciples who make disciples. But then there's this kind of reiteration that happens in Acts chapter one, verse eight. The way that Luke talks about it is that we're going to be witnesses. And a witness is one who testifies to the truth that they are uniquely qualified to give. So for the Christian, though, we can't just testify to the ideas of Christianity and Mm -hmm. talk about how it's good for us to kind of think Christianly and act Christianly and be moral people. Really, we can't just be teachers of the words of Jesus, although that's important and there's a place for that. But Christianity isn't just a set of mere ideas and philosophies to live a certain kind of holy life. Really being a disciple means that we are encountering the person of Jesus. Yeah. We are filled with his presence. We come to know him personally as if he is a real person because he yeah. because he is. So he's not just a set of intellectual ideas. He's an actual being that we come to know where we talk and listen and he talks and we listen and we have a dynamic growing relationship where then when we read his words and we read the stories about him, we can be impacted by what he said to us, not simply because oh, that's a really great idea to live by. Oh, that's a really radical teaching to love your enemy. But see, nobody does that apart from Jesus living in us. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it is we witness what we experience. Mm. And you can't be a true witness of Christ if you don't experience him as he is. It's really well said. And part of the problem is so many people experience their culture without experiencing their relationship with Christ. And so then when they go out to make witness as best they can, they're making witness of what they've experienced, which yes. is then their culture, which That's is right. why then you end up with some tribe in a remote African village looking like they're from Indiana. It's because instead of witnessing the experience with Christ, they're witnessing mm-hmm. their cultural mm-hmm. experience in church, and they're very different yes. things. That's exactly right. So this is why this idea of witness is so important, because What it means is then that we have to reorient our lives around the call to be with Jesus through the spiritual habits that we know of, stuff like reading your Bible and and prayer, attending church, tithing, scripture memory, and then some of the things that we've been specifically talking about, like Sabbath and the practice of slowing down, silent prayer, actually just being with Jesus for a moment, focusing our minds on him and just being near to him. The more that we live our lives around that kind of pattern Mm -hmm. of living, the more that our lives will become actual witnesses. Not just the words that we say, not just the truth that we can testify to, but the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we think actually becomes its own witness to those around us because now we're living in a transformed way. We're getting rid of the old way that we used to live, the way that our culture patterns us and shallowly forms us to live. Mm -hmm. And instead we're putting on a new way of life. We're putting on the new life as Paul and Jesus and the rest of them talk about in the New Testament. So the spirit then is challenging us every 
day and moments to become more like him. Jesus's grace and love are shaping the ways that we think and talk around a desire to love him more fully. And then God is directing us through his word to know him and approach him as if he really loves us. As if he does. (laughs) Yeah. And wants us to know him more. And this kind of life actually is a living alternative to the world's way of being. Because like we talked about this past Sunday, there's a private and a public sphere. Public sphere from our culture is pretty well defined. We kind of understand how it works. Right. Like you live in a comfortable home, That's only 15 minutes away from your favorite store. Mm -hmm. Your favorite store has the best products that you want to buy. And if they don't have them, you're going to be pretty frustrated that they're not there. But even if they're not there, there is another (laughs) another location that does have it. (laughs) That's that's exactly right. Probably not very far at all. Not even 15 minutes away from the one you just drove to. If somebody doesn't, though, help me in looking for that product, I'm going to complain about how the customer service was not given to me. But only when I want help. If they help me when I don't want help. That's aggressive. Now it's aggressive. too much. And I don't like that either. So uh, all I'm trying to get at with this example is we kind of have a framework of how life should work in the public sphere. Yeah. We know what it should look like when we go to a restaurant. We know what it should look like when we go to the movies. We know what it should look like when we go to church. This is what it feels like. Uh, we know what it should look like when we go to school. We know what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and how we're supposed to act and not act and talk and not talk. But then when we're in our private lives, it's a complete dichotomy because now the private life has no boundaries really. Mm-hmm. And you can be in your mind and fantasize about anything and everything you possibly could ever want to. And nobody's going to check you or think about that at all. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that our private lives then have the secret sins, the addictions, and this overload of freedom where this is who we are making ourselves into, but mm-hmm. then we're constrained by our public lives. Yeah, And so then we are propping ourselves up to not live out of a joyful expression of who we truly are becoming in our public world. And I think what Jesus has on offer for us is to say that when we are with him, when we're spending time in prayer, when we're reading through the Bible, when we're doing all of these spiritual practices we've been talking through, is that now our public life is merely a reflection of our private becoming. Yeah. So we're becoming like God and we're living into this alternative way of viewing the world, viewing other people, viewing myself, Mm -hmm. viewing what's coming next. I don't think that I'm gonna progress towards utopia just by learning more and listening to more TED Talks. Instead, I understand that I'm pretty sinful and that I need a savior to really help me work on me. And I need to peer inward and gaze inward and look at my reactions and my emotions and feelings. And I need to go with God to really understand and be aware of who I am Mm -hmm. around other people because I'm not just right all the time. And sin isn't just this outward thing that happens externally to me or in systems and institutions. Rather, it's a thing that's in me and that I have this war now with the spirit in me between my flesh and the spirit moving back and forth. And so then the more that I can live into this alternative way to our world's way of being, the more that I'll be renewed. Yeah, well, and when you think about it, all of us have moments where that private life overflows into the public sphere. That is true. And you might apologize for it. Yep. You might be happy that someone saw your true self. Yep. You might feel relieved, but it happens to everyone at times where the way that you are in private overflows into a way that you are publicly. That is true. We would much rather overflow out of a spirit-filled place than overflow out of a place that's completely driven by what my flesh wants. Well, you're bringing up a great point. The more that we try to hide it or even try to highlight it to the highest extent, the more that we're still not living a truly integrated life. Mm -hmm. When I let my guard down, I want to let my guard down and allow the things of the spirit to be what overflows. That's right. Not some sinful expression or some way I'm trying to make myself into being or in a moment of high anxiety 
something flashes out of me that I can't contain yeah. because I haven't spent time dealing with it in the private world. And so no matter what you do, you can't actually completely be private in your private sphere. Exactly. There's only so <laughs> yeah. much compartmentalizing that you can do. That's exactly And at some right. point, the spheres will crash into one another and who you are really is yes. going to be displayed publicly. Yes. And that is a really great point. So what we're becoming then in the private sphere with Jesus is who we should be then yeah. in the public sphere. And what happens as we get deeply rooted in God is that renewal begins to become a shaping force and this new identity in Christ then begins to develop. And just that new identity of being God's child, being his image bearer, where we're in presence and doing or acting out of our time with him, mm -hmm. then we can really get on mission, not just doing mission to do mission, but rather being on mission the way Jesus yeah. was to go and make disciples who made disciples. Yeah. And that impact will be far more deep and transformational for ourselves and for our disciples if we're doing it out of a well of time with God yeah. rather than a dry season where we're just trying to act and do and survive. It's easy to do the things that are sure. natural extensions of who you are. That's exactly right. And it's harder to do things that are not an extension of who you are. That's for exactly example, right. I'm not an athlete. I'll go to a baseball game with you if you ask me to. I will watch a football game with you if you want me to, because I know that's relationally a sure. good moment, but it's hard for me sure. to engage in that kind of realm. But I'm a musician, and if you were to ask me to do something musically related, I would love to, and it's an easy extension of who I am. Yeah. I think the same is true with things of our Christian witness and the way that we proclaim the gospel and make disciples. If it is a natural extension of mm. the deeply rooted person that we are, that's right. then it's going to be very easy for us. That's right. And if being and doing the things of Christ is very difficult for you, you have to ask yourself, mm -hmm. why am I not rooted enough yes. to where it's easier? That's right. And that's such a great question. It's such a great assessment tool to begin to ask myself, why is it uncomfortable for yeah. me to want to pray maybe at lunch with my coworkers? Why is it uncomfortable to try and invite somebody to church? Yeah. Why is it uncomfortable to maybe bring somebody to my small group? Why is it uncomfortable for even myself personally to try to open up the Bible or sit in silence for two minutes and try to imagine God's presence being near? This is exactly it because we have a war going on with our flesh and the new self that's supposed to be being put on. Yeah. Paul even talks about it in Romans. He talks about how the things I do want to do, I don't do. And the yeah. things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, David, I'll even say this right now. I have a six year old son. Mm. He's in little league baseball. Yeah. I'm liking baseball a lot more lately. <laughs> well, because you're in it now because I'm in it and yeah. this is starting to become part yeah. of my world. Yes. And as it's becoming more and more part of my world, the more I enjoy doing it. Yes. And I think the same right. thing then overflows into our Christian walk. The more that we do it, the more that we are rooted in it. Yes. And then the easier and more natural than yeah. the overflow of our private into the public yes. spheres can be. And then the more it becomes a value for us. Exactly. Because yeah. it means something to us. Yes. Now. Baseball means something to me now in a way right. that it didn't before. Sure. And so I can talk a little bit about baseball. That's such a great example because this is exactly it. You're present to something something that your son wants to do. Yeah. And because you're present in it, now it's starting to take on some meaning, like you said, in your life. Right. And this is exactly true of us in our spiritual lives, that the more that we're present to God, the more present that we are to ourselves, and the more that we're present to others, the more that we're going to live out of an identity based in Christ, not for shows of righteousness, but because it's the joyful expression of who we're becoming in Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's what we're all kind of after is that we are doing enough work with God behind the scenes that it becomes almost second nature for us. Mm -hmm. And where it's not second nature, we take time to confess, to repent, 
and to move on from that thing Mm -hmm. and to try our best to remodel ourselves once again, back into who Jesus is calling us to be. Yeah. So mission then really isn't limited to the things that we are doing actually. And I think that's what we think it is. And of course that's the functioning definition, but I think on a very deep level mission is who we are expressed and what we do. Oh yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's not just what we're doing. It's really coming from who we are. And you've said it, if if you're a musician, then that just kind of comes out of you. You think in song, you play your instrument, you enjoy to do it and you you will progress and get better at it because you enjoy doing it. And it kind of comes this self-feeding cycle. Right. So if my identity is being shaped by Jesus, by my being with him and through these spiritual practices we've been talking through, then mission will become just a part of me. Right. It's just a part of my expression of who I am. So when I engage others in hospitality, that actually is me being on mission to make disciples who make disciples. That's creating relationships and being open to people and trying to invite them in and share with them a part of my presence, a part of myself. And a part of me is I'm a Christian. And maybe that's not the first conversation. Maybe it's the third or the fourth. All I'm saying is people will see that at some point, or you'll say it at some point because that's who you are. So when I speak the truth in love, like we were talking about this last Sunday, then I'm going to be on mission. When I announce the gospel, of course, that's on mission. Now, that's one of those things that we automatically assume Mm -hmm. is being on mission. But my contention is that announcing the gospel comes from my identity, comes from the idea of this. My life is becoming a witness. Therefore, I want to bear witness. I want to share that story. So it's not just an obligation that I do when I'm on a mission trip or something like that. Rather, it's part of who I am. Yeah. It's not a scheduled activity. That's right. So when I serve others, I'm on mission. When I go outside of my comfort zone to love another person or, uh, you know, to build somebody up with my words, that is all an expression of who I'm becoming in Jesus. That is me on mission. And then there's even the more honed in mission where once you've shared the gospel, announced the gospel with somebody, or once you've been connected with somebody who wants to grow because they see your spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. Now we have a very specific thing that we're doing in discipleship where we're trying to see some specific growth in specific areas through spiritual habits. And then again, exactly what we're talking about here, where we're reframing our lives and reorienting our priorities around the person of Jesus. Right. Because that's the whole point of getting engaged with a one-on-one disciple maker is that then there's now accessible and attainable mm. goals yes. as we increase in our spiritual maturity. And there are things that you can't do on your own. You mm. need someone to walk yes. alongside you Absolutely. as you grow to be more and more like Christ. And so that also has a very valuable place. And obviously Absolutely. here at Cornerstone, we really value that process. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And the best way it happens is in community. That's what Jesus modeled for us. So how does all of this then relate back to kind of this meta narrative or grand story idea? So as disciples, we believe in this story, but we're also a part of the story. We are living this story right now. And so we believe that God is inviting all people into this story. And what is the story? Yeah, the story is that God's creation, his care, his guidance of the world from the beginning and the end, he's over it all. He's king and ruler of it all. And he's designed us and wants to work with us. I mean, humanity in general. He designed humanity to be his fleshly expression, if you would. Not that I'm a God or that you're a God, but that we are our own individuals who have a likeness to God. We bear his image. We are relational. We Mm -hmm. are loving. We are thinking. We are creative. We're like him. Yeah. And so we were designed to be that way, but then something went wrong in sin. And now we all sin, which are ways that we disobey God or the ways that we don't strive for wholeness after his example and his wholeness. So now we're in this bondage to sin. So then God sends his son, Jesus, which is like this huge moment in the story where redemption occurs. So now we can have relationship 
with God once again through what Jesus has done for us on the cross through his death, burial, and three days later, his resurrection. Yeah. And so now we can have relationship with God, which then is shooting us towards the end of the story, which mm -hmm. is that one day Jesus is going to come back because when he rose from the grave, he stayed with his disciples for a little while, but then he ascended back up into heaven as we talked about this past Sunday. Now he's in God's full presence, but one day he's going to come back and he's going to make the world brand new. He's going to make the heavens brand new. He's going to remake everything. Mm -hmm. This is the whole point. And we are going to be right alongside with him. And so when I serve others, when I'm working for others, when I'm doing what Paul talked about this past weekend in second Corinthians, we become ambassadors, witnesses on mission. Our lives then go out from us. We become a part of the story where we are modeling, becoming like Jesus in order to save others. Yeah. in order for them to be a part of this grand story as well, for them to be transferred from spiritual death into everlasting life. And not only that, but we also are in some sense living out the pattern of new creation right now, even though we're not in the full new creation, mm -hmm. we're like a advanced signpost of it, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. And so right now we do our best to steward our earth wisely. We do our best to steward our homes and our bodies wisely. We do our best to be what Paul calls us ministers of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. We try to enter situations. We try to enter circumstances. We try to enter into people's lives and make things better Yeah. simply because that's an expression of who we are becoming in Christ. This is the meta narrative that we are living into and without that end idea, we're tempted to think, okay, well, I'm just going to fly away to heaven at some point. And that's really my whole goal in this Christian life is to get to get some angel wings right. and sing on a harp and get saved. And we're just, and get, we're gone. get myself a mansion and be fine. That's it. But there's a much deeper, richer story that's actually happening that should be happening right now. Yeah. We're a part of this kind of heavenly drama that's playing out here on earth. We're a part of it. We have a hand in it. God wants to partner with us and God wants to move through us towards the world mm -hmm. to impact it for him, to bring it back into more of this kingdom of God ideal that ultimately is going to be realized more fully one day. So our tasks then as disciples yes, is to make disciples. But in doing that, we have to be resistors of our cultural forms and scripts. Mm -hmm. So we can't buy into what our culture tells us, this utopia, gradual progression through self-improvement kind of mission. It's not reality. That story places heaven in humanity's hands, which is really a false narrative that actually leads people to death. And that's a sad place for anybody else to be. And we should be burdened yeah. and really feel some urgency about that as well. That there are those who are outside of maybe our community or maybe who are in our community who need to hear the good news of Jesus and need to see it lived out in us. Yeah. Because we can tell people the story, but unless it's genuine in us. And people can see right through it. They which, really, really Which can. I think you mentioned a little bit on Sunday. Some of the evangelistic tools that have been mm -hmm. used in the past, and I think maybe even abused in the past. Sure. People maybe didn't latch onto those in perpetuity. The reason why we're not all still working off of paper tracks or anything like sure. that is sure. because people saw right through the intention behind it. Yeah. And they knew that it wasn't always coming from a place of genuine care for them sure. and more out of a necessity to meet a Christian quota. Yeah. Which really then puts you in control. Yeah. It puts the sharer in control of the story of what gets said, how it gets said, of what's conveyed. And it makes me feel good that now I've finished this explanation. 
even though I didn't really take time to understand the person to which I'm speaking. Which again, I don't want to sound too negative because part of it is a practical systemization of something that needs to happen. Yep. And people aren't always clear on how to articulate the gospel in a good way and in a concise way. And so, which is why these tools are great. We came up with wonderful systems and tools. That's right. But then I think that they were used to a point to where now what's important is reading this gospel tract and Mm. not actually knowing people and presenting the gospel as an overflow of a gospel centric heart. Yes. Which again, if I'm going to share the gospel with somebody, the best way to do it is to do it in the context of relationship. Yeah. The whole point is that this root work series really is based kind of on one idea. The more that I can be with God, the more that I'll be able to bear witness in my life and with the words that I say. So I need to be reformed in my roots. This really is the radical call of Jesus. Absolutely, it has to do with what you say and how you tell the story and the things that you do in your life. But really, the radical call of Jesus is to map everything that I do in a day and in a week and in a month and in a year around the person of Jesus. That's really what we're being asked to do, which means things like I'm going to take a whole day off for 24 hours, doing Sabbath, reading my Bible, spending time in prayer, spending time in silence with God, slowing my pace and my life activities down. And then of course, doing the other ones that we know really well, scripture, memory, tithing, attending church, investing in your community, all of those spiritual habits. The more that I can be with God in that way, the more that I'll experience real life in the now. Yeah. The quality of our fruit, the quality of our lives, the way that we'll experience blessing, it'll be different, but it'll be deeper. Yeah. Because it'll be formed and framed around the person of Jesus rather than around a feel good feeling that I'm doing good in the world and Jesus kind of likes me and I go to church every now and then. It really has a purpose and a truth and a ring to it when my whole life is modeled after him, oriented around him. And then there's just so many practical benefits to it. But before we jump to the practical benefits, am I living this meta narrative? Am I living this story that God has designed that we read in the Bible and that we know is going to come to an end at some point with a new heaven and a new earth? Is this arc of redemption, this arc of my identity in him going to be the most important thing to me, or is it going to be another thing I try to fit into my already busy schedule? And that's the question I'm asking myself. Yeah. And I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Am I becoming a witness? Is my life bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is transforming me? And if it's not, what do I then need to start doing in order to be with God so that from my being, I can start acting, I can start doing. And I think that this idea of meta narrative, there is a story that translates all those stories that gives meaning to all other stories. And it's the story of God in his world. And it's the story of Jesus having a relationship with us. And I think the more that we can live into this meta narrative, the more that it becomes our identity, the more that we will become his witnesses and bear witnesses, the more that we're going to see the world changed. Well, and that's exactly what we want to see. And one thing that I love in doing this podcast is that we get to hear feedback from our listeners as they start implementing some of these truths and practices. And they begin to tell us, this is the way that my life is changing. And this is how my spirit is being renewed in Christ. Here's how by dealing with the root work of myself, I'm able to grow and be more aligned with how Christ would have me to be. That's one of the greatest benefits, again, of doing this podcast is that we're able to hear so much feedback and listener stories. If you'd like to share how this is affecting you in your own life, or maybe as you do your own personal study and you reflect on the things we've said here in this podcast, maybe there's something that you'd like us to go in greater detail about. We'd love to do that. If you would just 
Text your feedback to 817-809-3040. We'll take all the very best questions and work it into the content as we develop these cornerstone conversations together.